So this morning will be our final sermon in 2 Timothy. This has been a great study. We've learned many things. Tonight we're going to continue right where we left off with Paul's final words to his young son in the faith, Timothy. His final words that the Holy Spirit would ever inspire the Apostle Paul to write. We last spoke about two men, two men that had two different paths in life. One, Demas, who shamefully was in love with the world and deserted Paul, in love with the world rather than Christ Jesus. And we spoke about John Mark, who started off weak and cowardly, but finished strong in the Lord. So much so that the apostle says to Timothy, bring him with you because he is useful to me. And speaking of John Mark and how he was finishing well, this is exactly what we will see from the Apostle Paul this morning. That here in this text, we will see that he too was finishing the race well. He was a man who was faithful unto the end. And he has the right qualities and is a man of God that we all should look to. We should all look to his life and follow his example as he followed Christ. He much desired that his young friend Timothy would come to him. You can hear that in this text this morning. Timothy was a man, a pastor, who was sent to Ephesus to put that church in order. And now the apostle writes to him and says, come to me soon. Knowing that he is at death's doorstep, he longs to see his good friend again. In verse 13, he says to young Timothy to make sure to bring his books when he comes. Bring the cloak, bring my books, and please, when you come, bring the parchments. I want you this morning to remember the state of the apostle Paul. He awaits his death in the Mamertine prison, a place where the Romans would put people right before they would be executed. And this was not a modern prison cell that you might be imagining in your head. This place was a damp, dark dungeon, a horrible place, a place where infection would run rampant and city sewage ran right through the midst of this prison. And it would have been an absolute horrible condition that the Apostle Paul found himself. It was cold. It was dank. It was a dark place. And so he asked for his cloaks. But most importantly, he asks for the books and the parchment. You might ask why. Why was this so important to the Apostle Paul? So he could continue his work. He's not there saying, woe is me, how can this be that I'm going to die? How am I going to make it? What am I going to do? They're going to come at any moment and take my life from me. He's got no anxiety at this moment. Worry is not on his mind. What is on his mind is where are my books? He doesn't fear death. He is the one who has loved the Lord. He knows with all of his heart that every breath he has to live is to be, to live as Christ. It is to be in service to Christ. And to die would be gain. 
And so the Apostle Paul here in verse 13, you see the way that he lives his life. Far from worrying about when his life, last breath, would be. Instead, he says to Timothy, bring me my books, bring me the parchments so that I may continue my studies. He's basically saying to Timothy, the work is not done. I still have breath in my lungs. I still have life to live. I still can serve the Lord even from this place. Timothy, there are still churches that need my help. There are still people that need to be saved. There is still studying of the Word of God that needs to be done. The Lord had given the Apostle Paul breath, and so he's saying, with this breath, I will serve the Lord. It is amazing. It is to be emulated in our life. The work was not done. You know, we can see from history that many others followed the Apostle Paul's example. William Tyndale, as I read this text, is the one that came to the forefront of my mind and one I want to speak about here a little bit this morning. He is a man who gave his life away to translate the Word of God into English. He was a man who shaped the English language as we know it. And he coined many words that paved the way for the English-speaking world to understand the Word of God. He sacrificed everything for this cause, and he was known as a man on the run. There's even a movie made about him called God's Outlaw, and this is who William Tyndale was. He was a wanted man for the crime of translating the Word of God into the common tongue. Many make much of the King James Version of the Bible, and rightfully so, but some have taken it too far. Some have said that the King James Version is an inspired translation, but it's not. It is a translation of the Bible. It is a good translation at that, but we must always remember it is a translation of the Word of God. Nowhere do we ever see any evidence that translations are inspired by God. But we clearly do see much evidence that He inspired the original Greek and Hebrew text. Many lift up the King James Version as some kind of almost mystical book. But the translators themselves would not have you do that. The translators themselves would have said, no, this is a translation, and we have done our due diligence, we've been faithful men, and we have translated the Word of God as faithfully we as we could so that you can read it in your language. But you know what else they would have said? The very reason I bring it up. If they were alive today, the translators of the King James Version would have told you the most influential work that they used to translate that Bible into English was the Tyndale Bible. The facts are this. The King James Version shows that Tyndale's words accounted for 85% of the King James Version's New Testament and 75% of the Old Testament. 
So the King James translators, the Bible that many of us love and cherish and read still to this day and are incredibly grateful for. We should give credit where credit is due. God inspired this man to give his life away to have the Bible translated into English. And because of that, we have the King James Version that we so appreciate still to this day. We should be grateful for this man, William Tyndale, that the Lord used, that the Lord inspired to give his life away to this work. Eventually, God's outlaw, William Tyndale, would be betrayed by a friend. He was arrested and imprisoned. Much like Jesus was betrayed by Judas, William Tyndale was also betrayed by someone who was close to him. He would eventually be strangled. He would eventually be burnt at the stake. And they, they lined the stake with gunpowder and William Tyndale would be blown up. Why? For his faithfulness. But before that, William Tyndale was put in prison, much like the Apostle Paul. A damp, dark, cold prison. And there is one letter that we have from William Tyndale from that prison stay. And in that letter, he said this. Above all, I entreat and beseech your clemency to be urgent with the procurer that he would kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible. That he would kindly permit me to have my Hebrew grammar and my Hebrew dictionary that I may spend my time in study. Like the Apostle Paul, the Lord had given William Tyndale breath. And so because he had breath, he still had work for the Lord to do. He was going to serve the Lord until his very last breath. He wanted nothing more than to spend his time studying the Word of God so that his mission would be complete, that the people would be able to read God's Word. For Tyndale, it was clear, to live was Christ in service to him, and to die was gain. This is William Tyndale, like the Apostle Paul. In verse 14, Paul changes gears. In verse 14, he starts to speak about Alexander the coppersmith. He says there that Alexander, he did me great harm. And he then goes on to say that the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, young Timothy, for he strongly opposed our message. This here is not physical harm, it's spiritual harm. And this came from the hands of this man, Alexander, who was a metal worker. One who worked with copper. A man who most likely made idols. A man who opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as opposition to Christ, he himself was a man who was by definition an anti-Christ. This is who Alexander was. 
Some might say this morning in hearing the Apostle Paul talk about this account that it it seems wrong to name names. It seems petty to air out this dirty laundry here. Can't Paul just keep this between him and Alexander, you might ask? It doesn't seem right to make this public. But that's just not the case with this text. Sometimes, yes, it is a good thing to do this very thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing to keep conflict private, but other times certain circumstances call for sinful actions of people to be made public. And here in this instance, this is what the apostle has done. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Alexander, he was a danger to the church. Because Alexander was a minister from Satan. Alexander was not a good man. Alexander was a danger to God's people. Remember, he says here, he caused me great harm. He did this by undermining or twisting or flat out lying about the message that the Apostle Paul had preached. He bore false witness or slandered the Apostle Paul. And many have speculated that it very well could have been Alexander, the very reason that Paul might have found himself in prison. It was very common for those who hated Christianity to go to the local magistrates and slander Christians. And here, Alexander, we know from the text, did much harm to the apostle. He himself was a servant of Satan, and he needed to be opposed. He needed to be outed. And so Paul says to Timothy, beware of him. And you might ask why. Why is his language so certain for the love of the sheep, for the love of God's people? This man was a wolf, and wolves devour the sheep. And so Paul says, beware of this wicked man. For the love of God's people, Paul said, steer clear of this man. He did me much harm. But I want to tell you this morning, he did not want revenge for Alexander. He would desire that this man would repent and believe the gospel message like everyone else. But right now, in Alexander's life, he absolutely shows no evidence that that is his desire. Instead, he has set himself up as one who is opposed to the message of Christ. But Paul knows here clearly that if this man does not repent, if he does not trust in Christ alone for salvation, the text tells us that the Lord will repay him for his actions. Paul knows that vengeance is of the Lord, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty who are outside of Christ. And the Lord who will punish every single wicked deed that Alexander ever committed, and every single wicked deed that any other has committed that do not know Christ, the Lord will punish evildoers Vengeance is God. I'm going to tell you this morning, on that last day, if you do not know Christ, you will regret the very day that you were born. 
To be found outside of the Christ is a woeful and fearful thing. Do we believe this morning that the God who created everything is good at everything that he does? He will be perfect at vengeance towards sin. Know Christ. Know the grace of God. It is so incredibly important for the Lord will repay all those who are outside of Christ. That very message that Alexander opposed was the very message that he needed so desperately. I want you this morning to please take Paul's message to heart here in this text. This isn't some vindictive nature inside of his heart. He's not looking at Alexander with contempt and just hoping that the Lord gets him someday. This isn't a desire for revenge on what Alexander has done to him. This isn't pettiness. It's actually quite the contrary. Paul's like, I'm not seeking revenge for this man. The Lord will take care of him. I'm going to leave that man up to God to take care of And that is exactly the message that Paul gave us in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. He said this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Some might be saying in hearing this this morning that Alexander, or Paul is ungracious to Alexander. That he's being too harsh, but, but I want you to hear me that it's just not the case. And remember who inspired him to write these words this morning is none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And so God wants us to see the way that Paul is treating Alexander the coppersmith. The words towards him were warranted. If you set yourself up as an enemy of the gospel, words like this are warranted for you. But we know Paul is not petty or mean-spirited, and in verse 16 we see that he will even speak of those who deserted him when he stood before the Roman tribunal, and he says there that he desires that the Lord would forgive them. One commentator, he makes this point. A little later when he is saying how sorry that he is, speaking of the Apostle Paul, that everyone has deserted him, he does not call down God's vengeance on them, but instead he prays that they may be forgiven. Since Paul is so gentle and merciful to everyone else, why is he so severe to this one person, Alexander the coppersmith? Paul wants to forgive the other people because they have fallen as a result of fear and weakness. And we, like Paul, should always show compassion for our brothers and sisters when they are in weakness. But Alexander had risen up against God. Alexander had risen up against the message of God with malice and a sacrilegious audacity, and was publicly attacking the truth that Alexander himself had once confessed. 
This is why Paul is so opposed to him, but so willing to give grace to others. Alexander had set himself up as an enemy of God. This is the heart of Paul as he writes these words. Look with me at verse 16. Paul says there, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. May it not be charged against them, much like the words of Jesus when he hung on the cross. Paul stood in front of the Roman tribunal, abandoned by his close brothers in Christ because of fear, because of weakness, because of cowardice, because they did not want to lose their lives or be associated with this man who was going to his death. There, the apostle had to make his defense, his first defense, with none by his side. But he's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not like us who maybe at the first time someone wrongs us, we just want to complain about it as fast as possible. Did you hear what so-and-so did to me? We just eat that stuff up. But what's the apostle Paul did? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm the chief of sinners. They abandoned me. I deserve nothing more. May God forgive them. May God forgive them. He is not petty. He loves the brethren, and he knows that they all had a moment of weakness. And this is really a prayer. He's saying, God, please, don't hold this against them. These men that abandoned him, it's not opposition to God. It's weak men acting fleshly. It's weak men acting sinfully. It's weak men that abandoned Paul in his time of need. But Paul prays that God, he would not hold this against them. And remember, this is not the unforgivable sin. It is sin. But he prays that God would forgive them. While all have deserted the Apostle Paul, I really want you to look with me right there at verse 17. What does he say? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. I'm all alone. I stand before the tribunal. But the Lord is with me. The Lord has not forsaken me. The Lord has not left him. The Lord was with him. The Lord stood by him and is all that he needed. And he says there, the Lord has given him strength. But you know, the Lord's strength for him was for a reason. It wasn't so the Apostle Paul could just spend it on his own passions and desires. It would be that the Lord would be glorified, that his gospel might be heard. I'm going to tell you this morning, God always has purpose for his people. He always shows us grace for a purpose so that we would go and be a fruitful people. And this is exactly what we see in the Apostle Paul's life here in the text. He doesn't just give us strength so we can be selfish and that we would get everything we want in life. No, he gives his people's strength so that they may glorify him. And this is exactly what took place. 
The Apostle Paul, in front of that Roman tribunal, what did he do? Not afraid, not loving his life unto death, knowing that this could cost him his very head. He denies himself and he preaches the full gospel to the civil magistrate right before his eyes. You ever wonder why so many Christians get arrested throughout history? And even right now, as we live, Christians are going to prison. They are standing before the magistrates. And maybe it is for such a time as this, like the Apostle Paul. That the glorious gospel would be made known to the godless, to the lost, to those who are without hope. So that in their time, in their hour of distress, that they would not love themselves, that they would deny themselves and say, I am here to glorify God. I am here to preach the good news to the captives. You can take my life from me, but God has put me here for a purpose, and I don't love my life unto death, and I want Christ to be glorified. I want Christ to be known. I want all that he died for to come to him in faith. It says in verse 17 that Paul proclaimed the full gospel to the Gentiles. I wonder after he preaches this full gospel how it rang throughout Rome. Have you heard of this man who is taking the gospel to the nations, who is arrested, who is about to die, and he stands before the Roman tribunal and he proclaims the good news to them? What boldness. What strength to be able to preach with your life on the line. He goes on to say there in verse 17 that the Lord rescued him from the lion's mouth. Like the prophet Daniel, the Lord had delivered Paul from death many times, in fact. And while Paul would soon lose his life, there was one prowling lion who sought to devour Paul his entire life. He sought to devour Paul's faith. He sought to destroy Paul. Satan desired nothing more than to see Paul fail, to see his mission fail, to see his faith fail, to see him fail to many temptations. Satan would have desired that Paul would have been like Demas, in love with that world and gone after the world. Satan would have desired that evil men like Alexander, the coppersmith, or Nero, the one who chopped his head off, would eventually get to the Apostle Paul, but it didn't happen because the Lord was with him and the Lord delivered him. And the Lord would eventually deliver him from that prowling lion, Satan himself. And Paul tells us, what that would be like in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was confident in the Lord. He was confident that the work of the enemy would fail. 
that nothing would prevail against God's work in this world. That while Satan would come against Paul, he knew that God would rescue him from every evil deed. He was confident that God would be glorified. He was confident that the God who is able would see him through to the end. He was confident that the Lord who had died for him, who started a good work in him, would be faithful to complete it on that day. He was confident in the Lord. And while many enemies came against the Apostle Paul in his life, and maybe more than anyone else in history, this man suffered for Christ. While many enemies came against the Apostle Paul, he was absolutely certain without a shadow of a doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation would be able to separate him from the love of God that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. It wasn't Alexander the coppersmith. It wasn't being deserted before the Roman tribunal. It wasn't being put in the Mamertine prison. It wasn't getting ready to lose his very head. Nothing was going to separate him from the love that he had in Jesus Christ. Was not Paul more than a conqueror through Christ who gave him strength? He was confident in the Lord in the face of death. And the Apostle Paul, he was finishing strong. He was finishing the race strong. This morning, I want to I wrap things up. I want to I finish with this today. As we look at the Apostle Paul's life, it should be an inspiration to us all. The way that he was willing to serve unto his very last breath. You know, R.C. Sproul, he had this, this saying, and he says, I'll retire when they pry my Bible out of my cold, dead hands. And you know, R.C. Sproul, he preached until his health wouldn't let him anymore. He served the Lord as long as he was physically able to do so. Many men and women throughout history have said, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's about glorifying him. It's about serving the one who paid it all for me. They give us their example to follow. You know, are there people in this faith that you look up to that you're like, God, if you sanctify me, please give me the heart that they have. You know, I think about John and Diane a lot. And they wouldn't want any credit for this. They'd say, all glory to God. Don't look at us. Don't look at what we've done. We are servants of the Most High. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I love them so much. I love their hearts of service. They, they just give it all away for the church, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they just, they, where's their retirement? Where's their American dream, fat, lazy, happy life? They're like, I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of my life. I mean, can we not all see it? 
You know, everybody wants to be the pastor. Everyone wants to preach the word. Everyone wants the microphone. Everyone wants the glory. Well, this is the complete wrong reason ever to serve the Lord. For glory that comes from man. But you know what I want? I want to be known as one who has such a heart of service like John and Diane do. Who have given their life away for Christ. Don't glorify me. Say, wow, what work Jesus has done in that man's heart. How is it possible that God took a sinner like him and he has been able to serve God his entire life? Give no credit or glory to anyone here, but all glory to the one who paid it all for us. And so my question this morning for you is, will you finish strong like the Apostle Paul? Do you have a heart's desire to work for the Lord all the days of your life? To your very last breath, God has given you breath in your lungs and so work for the Lord. Is your heart for Him? Is your heart for the Lord or is it for your kingdom, your will, your wants, your desires? Have you given it all away for the Lord of glory? I'm going to ask you this morning, are you wasting your life? I'm telling you, getting all you want in this American life is a waste of your life. Building the biggest house, having all the best stuff, getting as much stuff as you want, it is a waste of your life. My father worked his whole life so he could retire and have everything he wanted. He died before he retired. The year of his retirement, he died. We have no idea when the Lord is going to take our life from us. Are we working for ourselves? Are we putting our heart, souls, desire into what we want in this life? I'm going to tell you, it's a waste. The Bible will call it hay, wood, and stubble. It'll be burned up in the fire. You're not going to take it with you. The Apostle Paul, he did not love his life unto death. And I'm going to ask you, are you wasting your life on the here and now? Are you building what will not last? Do you work? Do you live? Do you love all for the glory of the Lord who died for you? A few more points from this message. If people bring false reproach against you, against your name, and let's say they even blaspheme the Lord in the process, can you this morning leave vengeance to the Lord? Is your heart's desire to just get revenge, to talk about them, to gossip about them all the day long, or can you let God have the last word? Can you let the Lord have vengeance? Can you let the Lord repay the wrongs that people have done to you? Can you count no offense against others because God counted no offense against you when he sent his one and only son to die in your place? If all abandon you in this life like the Apostle Paul, 
If you are left lonesome and by yourself, can you say with confidence, like Paul did, that the Lord is with you? That the Lord is your strength? That the Lord has not left you? That because you are in Christ, His, His good favor is still upon you? Are you confident like the Apostle Paul was? Do you know in whom you have believed? Are you confident that the Lord will deliver you from the lion's mouth? Are you confident that the Lord will deliver you from the lion's mouth and eventually will bring you home into his heavenly home? When the Lord strengthens you this morning, will you glorify Him with your strength? Will you be one who is faithful no matter the circumstances, even in the most dire of circumstances? Can you be faithful to God? Will you be one that desires that people hear this glorious gospel? That when God gives you the courage, the opportunity, the strength... Would you be willing to suffer loss so that other people may live in Christ? This morning, as you hear these things, undoubtedly, it's a heavy burden. And you feel weak. But that's often the point. Remember, Paul was a weak man, considered himself the chief of sinners. For Paul says, when we are weak, it is Christ who gives us strength. While we are weak, the Lord is strong. When we are dependent on Him, it is then that we have strength in this life. After all, he said that His grace is sufficient for us. His grace is sufficient for you this morning. Paul's final words to his young son in the faith was this. In verse 22, he said, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. In this last chapter, we see Demas, he was missing this grace. He desperately needed it. Alexander the coppersmith, he was also missing this grace. If these men did not repent and trust in Christ alone for their salvation... If they breathed their last in this life, trusting in their own merits to save him, then they met the holy God. They met the holy God in their sin. They met the holy God who will punish every idle word spoken. And if today you do not know Christ, if you are trusting in yourself, if you are loving yourself, loving this world, loving this life that you are live, if you are like Demas in love with this world, if you are like Alexander the coppersmith, one who is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and today you need this Christ desperately, because remember the message today, the Lord will repay, and I promise you, He did not spare His one and only Son, He's not going to spare you on that last day. 
There's no other way to heaven. It's not about being a good person. It's not about trying to earn your righteousness. There is one who came as your perfect representative, Jesus Christ. There is one who died sacrificially in your place, Jesus Christ. There is one who is raised on the third day for your justification, and his name is Jesus Christ. Vengeance is God's, and there's absolutely no way to heaven apart from Christ. So please, today, all who have not known him will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire. Please turn to Christ today. Turn to Christ today. Repent of your life of sin. Trust in Christ and live. And for all of us, like the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, may the Lord be with your spirit. There's nothing more important than the Lord being with you and that you would have the grace of God in your life.